If I were to mention the word joy, who would you think of? Most all of us have someone that comes to mind when we hear the word joy. Many of us think of children, an unbridled joy, an innocent joy, if you will, just the joy of the simplicity of being alive. And oh, how great the day is today. Now, there are many folks that I think about, even in our own congregation, right here, this what Vicki Simmons is one that I think about often, just wears a smile. There are others that I think about, but the two people that come to mind quickest for me are both of my grandmothers, my mother's mother and my father's mother. And each of them have radically different personalities. My father's mother is uh, far more like, or my father took after uh, uh, her, very, very laid back. I mean, there's just nothing that's going to rattle her. An introverted personality, not very expressive in the way that she uh, uh, lives life. So uh, 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 she's with the Lord now, and so who knows what she uh, looks like uh, right now, what she's doing. Um, I know that she's very, very joyful at the moment, but when I think about her, just this calm, steady presence I'm all the time. My father um, took her to lunch one day. A gentleman from the church had invited them to lunch. This is in Montgomery, Alabama. And they went to uh, this really great restaurant. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the Capital City Club. And this gentleman, with the sincerest of desire to honor my father and his mother, just said, I want to serve them. There was no pretense in him, not showing off. He just wanted to serve. And when we got to the, evidently when, uh, when they got to the restaurant, um, had a great time, came home. And then my father looked at his mother and said, Mom, do you know what car you were riding in? She said, why, no, I don't. He said, well, Mom, you were riding in a Jaguar. She said, okay. <laughs> he said, Mom, do you know about how much that costs? She said, well, no, I don't. He said, uh, it costs more than my house. <laughs> she, she said, well, it wasn't a very big car for that price. <laughs> Nothing was going to rattle my grandma, as we called her. Now, if I told you, you her story, you would cringe. A hard, hard life. And yet there was this deep-seated joy in her life that life circumstances could not touch, could not take away. Grandmother Armfield, on the other hand, was different. She grew up a blue blood, grew up with lots of money as Grandma McNeely did not. My father uh, grew up uh, uh, very poor. Uh, my mother grew up with a silver spoon in her mouth, and it's quite entertaining to think that these two actually ended up uh, together. i got to tell you this. My father was invited um, in Miami, Florida. They got tickets uh, to the opera. And my dad was thrilled that they were going to go to the opera. And my mom, a little freaked out as to why he was so excited that they would go uh, to the opera. He is ready, raring to go. And, and they finally get there to it. And he has no idea. He thought they were going to the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> and as my mom tells the story, she says it was when she told him, by the way, how the whole thing will be sung in Italian. Seven minutes before he was. <laughs> Grandmother McNeely, uh, Grandmother Armfield, rather, um, a, a very expressive personality. 
And her joy manifested in a different way. And every time you saw her, she was excitable. Every time I read it, oh, David, let me tell you what I'm learning. And she would go into some biography that she was reading or some other passage of scripture that she had memorized. It just, it was so neat to watch. Both ladies have deep-seated joy, but it expressed itself in very different ways. When I say joy, who do you think of? Please know this, joy is an internal condition that cannot be touched. Can I say this? Most of us tend to believe that in the absence of problems, there will be an abundance of happiness. i say that again. Most of us tend to believe that in the absence of problems, there will be an abundance of happiness. However, what I believe the scriptures as a whole will teach us today is this. We must believe that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. The difference between happiness and joy is this. Happiness is just simply the external condition of our, our bodies, um, etc. Joy is the deep seat. It's internal. It cannot be touched. Happiness is a result of joy. Happiness may be conditional, Maybe conditional in circumstances, nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that happiness is not good or valid. It just means that joy goes deeper. Now, this may be the most obnoxious thing that I do, but I'm going to give you about five or six different people who have given definitions of joy. They'll be online, so you don't have to worry about writing them down right now. You can find them out later, and we'll fly through them. But John Piper says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. He says it's a, it's a good feeling in the soul. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great Bible teacher from yesteryear, says this, joy is the response and reaction of the soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby, another great Bible teacher, says, the inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. That's the definition for joy. One of my favorites is just a song. I heard this 20-something years ago from a man named John MacArthur. It is not his original thought. We do not know who the author of this song is, but here's the line of the song. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. What a great picture. When the king, the good king, was in residence, oh, the flag flew high showing he was reigning. Is that true of us? Bill Gothard, if you've never read his character clues, they are well worth the read. He says this, joyfulness is the enthusiasm of my spirit reflecting fellowship with the Lord. Can I give you just... David McNeely's definition, it should not carry the weight that those other ones do. Mine is very simple and it's too broad, but here's our definition for this morning. Joy is simply the smile of the soul. Joy is what happens when we experience God. When we are rightly related to him and when we experience him, joy is what happens deep in the depths of our soul and it will manifest itself in some way. For those of you who have more muted personalities, it, it may look different. For those of you who have more expressive personalities, it may look like, wow! Joy 
It's something that comes from within, though. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to see from the Old Testament. Here's the pattern that we're using for this Advent series. We look at the Old Testament. We look at how it impacted or how it resonated or how it showed up in the incarnation. Then we look at it and say, what does it mean for us today? Joy appears over 100 times in the Old Testament with 15, 15 different Hebrew words. There are three things that I think we ought to see from the Old Testament this morning in regards to joy. Number one, God's people are a people of joy. Now, we don't have time to go through all the scriptures, and we won't be rooted in any one text this morning. We'll spend a little more time in Philippians and in John, but just listen as to what the scriptures have to say about these things. God's people are a people of joy. Esther 8.16 says, The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Notice this. It is the entirety of the people that had the reputation of having joy. Wouldn't it be great? If Christians were known, not so much for what we stand against, but for the condition of our heart that is joy. The indomitable spirit. Not just mere optimism, but yet deep-seated joy. God's people, according to the wisdom literature, we're going to limit our time there uh, this morning, um, but listen to some of the things that they took uh, joy in. They took joy in their spouse, according to Song of Solomon 1.4 and Proverbs 5.18. They took joy in their children, Psalm 113, verse 9, as well as Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25. They took joy in God's justice in Proverbs 21, 15. They took joy in wine. Isn't it good to be Presbyterian? <laughs> took joy in wine, Psalm 104, verse 15. For all of my teetotal legalist friends, wine... Within moderation. They took joy in a harvest. According to Psalm 126, verse 6. And I found this one interesting. They even took joy in an apt answer, an appropriate response, according to Proverbs 15, verse 23. God's people in the Old Testament are a people who were marked by joy. Meaning this. If you were running around in Old Testament days, you'd say, man, that person sure does seem to be joyful and happy. I bet they're a Hebrew would probably be your response. Wouldn't it be great in the office place? Folks look around. I, I don't, who is this person? Who's this obnoxious individual who smiles all the time? Oh, I bet they're a Christian. The only Christians are the ones that I know that are that stupid happy. First, God's people are a people of joy. Second thing we can see in the Old Testament is this. Joy is actually found in the Lord. Joy is found in the Lord. A couple of different things that it says is for. We can find joy in the Lord for his salvation. Psalm 40, verse 16, as well as Psalm 51, verse 12. Hone in particularly, if you can, later on, on Psalm 51 and look at the context of that chapter. Joy is in the Lord for his help that he gives us in daily living. Psalm 63, 7, the Lord provides help for us on a regular basis, and there's joy simply in his help. There's also joy, though, in his word. Psalm 119, verse 111, and then I want you to turn your attention. I believe it'll be up on the screens. If not, that's my fault for not turning it into Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Jeremiah says this, 
Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O God, O Lord, God of hosts. Your words were found, and it says that I ate them. Do you see the picture that's coming from the prophet? That God's word was to be consumed. It was not merely just to be nibbled upon. It was to be consumed, digested, much in the same way that you find someone. Come to my house. Come to my house and, and, and get, get my kids to fast for a day. And then put food in front of them, and you will see what it looks like. Ravenous wolves who will feast on whatever is put in front of them. That's the picture that Jeremiah is getting right here. That we would be feasting upon God's word, opening it up, saying, oh God, show me what it is you have to say. And when God reveals to us, the Holy Spirit illuminates what is in there in God's truth. When God speaks to us, there is this joy of the soul. Now go back to what it said earlier. They took joy in their spouse. They took joy in their children. They took joy in relationships. Is that not what it is with God? Is it not the most intimate of relationships? Many of you have experienced the depths of intimacy with God, and you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And when you feast on his word and you hear from him, you know what it's like to have that joy that rises up from within. And you know you can't fake it. You can't manufacture it. It is something that God is producing. The Holy Spirit is bringing. And it makes you want to eat more. There was joy in the Lord. Can I add one more? And I, I do know that I've, We sang about it just a, just a second ago in that song. There is joy in the Lord because there is joy in his presence. Psalm 16, verse 11, as well as uh, uh, 21, verse 6. But listen to Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. We have said this a dozen times here at Wildwood over the last few years. But the most difficult pain that we deal with is the pain of separation. And it is certainly true of every human relationship, but it is absolutely true of our relationship with the Father. And although we cannot see him, although we cannot touch him, we know that he is there. But it is by faith that we must believe that he is with us. And I assure you that what happens is for most of us, when it is that we go outside of his will, when we venture outside the bounds of his law, what happens to most of us is we assume that God will respond to us in the same way that we respond to others. And that is by this, by removing his presence from us. Why? Because our actions. Well, here's great news. Jesus has taken care of that. Jesus has done all that is necessary so that the sin that you commit every day and that I commit every day no longer is a barrier between God and man. And the reason it's no longer a barrier is not because you're going to get it right the next time. The reason it's not a barrier is because Jesus took on the wrath of the Almighty God. It was poured out upon him on a cross. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. 
And so now we have the right to come into the presence of God, not based on how we perform, not based on what we do or don't do. We come into the presence of God solely because we believe Jesus can get us there and keep us there. And it's in the presence of God that there is fullness of joy. In the absence of God, there is great angst. You make known to me the path of life. You teach me how to walk. But even on that path of life, when I venture off, I know that you will come and you will get me. You may let me venture off that path for, for a season, for a few moments, but eventually you'll leave the 99. You'll, you'll jump out, you'll head off, you'll grab the one, you'll bring him back, and then there's going to be a celebration in heaven. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Can I ask you this this morning? Have you experienced the fullness of joy? Or are you still chasing it? God's people are a people of joy. Joy is found in the Lord. The third thing we can see from the Old Testament is this. Joy is not only found in the Lord, it is actually from the Lord. Isaiah 9, 3 says this, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Psalm 4, 7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when the grain and wine abound. They took joy in the harvest. They took joy in wine. New wine in the Old Testament is always associated with blessing from God. Yes, they took joy in those things, and rightfully they should have. But notice what it says here. You, God, have actually put more joy in my heart than any other circumstances in life. In fact, there's nothing in this life that can actually remove that joy. But do you know what happens to most of us? My gaze tends to go from seeing the Lord, resting in the Lord, dwelling in God's presence, being obedient as he, he gives me the path to life and, and saying yes. And, and that communion that's with God, my tendency is to do this. And then when something happens, especially that I don't want to happen, I tend to look down here. And when I set my gaze upon what's here and I merely only glance up at the Lord, I get filled with angst and worry and sometimes even bitterness and resentment. When my eyes go here, at the exclusion oftentimes of up here. I don't experience that joy. Now, that joy hasn't left. God has placed it in our hearts. It's just, once again, getting back to it, accessing it. How do we do that? Not by ignoring what takes place in the world, but by now setting my gaze on the author and the finisher of my faith. And believing that he is capable of taking any and all circumstances and using them for unbelievable good in a way that I can't even fathom right now. I can't even imagine how God might use the circumstances to bring about good. I don't, faith is saying, oh, I trust you. 
And so what am I going to do? I'm going to come back into your presence once again. And I'm going to come back to you with my burdens, and I'm going to take them, and I'm going to hurl them upon you because I know that you care for me. And watch once again what will happen to your joy. Watch it return. Hear me. Joy does not ignore difficulty. Joy can acknowledge difficulty, but in comparison to the person of God, who wins? Joy is the mark of God's people. Joy is found in the Lord. Joy is from the Lord. What about at the incarnation? What happened when Jesus came to earth? Where did joy show up? What did it look like at that point? Luke 1.44 says this, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped or leapt for joy. This is Mary's cousin that is letting her know, by the way, I got in, in the presence of you, and then this kid inside of me, somehow or another knew exactly the kid inside of you, who that kid is. And so what just happened is this. This child just went, oh, awesome. And it had a physical response inside of him. Now, do we believe that that baby already was capable of knowing who Jesus was? No, it's a baby. Didn't even understand any language yet. It's forming, fashioning in there. It's alive. It's a breathing. Uh, Do they breathe in there? I take that back. Babies don't breathe just yet. But they're alive. And something was going on. And so the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit somehow or another communicates something to this little baby who just cannot resist. Whew. Just where? In the presence of Jesus. Now, the baby probably kicked more than that. Probably had plenty of other times in which mom's ribs got bruised. But in the presence of Jesus, that baby leapt for joy. After Jesus was born, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I bring you good news, and that good news is going to be cause for great joy. And why is there going to be great joy? It's because what used to be true of just the Hebrew people, they were the ones who were stupid happy. They were the ones who were marked by joy. Now it's going to be for all the people. And anyone who comes to this baby, the one who's set aside, anyone who comes to him is going to be able to experience the fullness of joy. It's great news. I don't know what your life looks like right now. My guess is that you have to have at least some modicum of difficulty in your life What I'm not telling you is this, come to Jesus and all of your difficulties will go away. What I'm telling you is this, come to Jesus and all of your difficulties will find their rightful place. They won't magically disappear. I'm not even saying they won't have tremendous um, challenges that, that you must face. I'm saying that you will have a person in your life that will enable you to do what you never thought you could do before, and that is to face your difficulties because you will not be alone. Never again will you ever be alone if you come to Jesus. Mom and dad may leave. Siblings may go. 
Friends may take a hike. The whole world may desert you. Jesus will never, ever leave you. He will never, ever forsake you. And as long as you are with him, you always have the option for joy. Later on, while the wise men are trying to pursue this Jesus, trying to see who he is, Matthew 2 tells us this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, into the house, they saw the child with, his Mary, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. They knew that something special was happening and they had to make their way to it. They made their way to it and they got a chance to see the son with his mother. And upon seeing the son with his mother, the only appropriate response they knew to do was to say, you are so worthy. And they gave gifts. I get this. Just seeing the star brought about joy. I don't want to allegorize this. I, 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 I really don't. I, so on one level, I, I'm a little fearful to ask this question, but can I, what's your star? The star is the promise of God that says this is going to happen. Now, the star here was specifically there to, to point people to Jesus, to where he's going to get to. But, but how do you see God? So where has he promised you? What are you still waiting on? If he promised you something, it will come true. Take joy in that, even though it may not have happened just yet. God is not a liar, and he will fulfill his promises. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I've spoken to you. The reason I've spoken to you is so that my joy, the joy that I have, will actually be given to you. And then when my joy is given to you, then you're going to experience the fullness of this joy. What about today? We close by looking a little bit more. Um, we won't do the kind of depth that we normally would, but, but sitting just a little bit longer on two passages. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll look and see what the Scriptures have to say today about joy. What are we called to in 2021 in Tallahassee? In honor of God's Word, if you would stand as we read this together. Uh, begin reading with me. Uh, in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, 
If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Now, I don't know if I asked you to read along or not. If I did, that was subconscious, but that was really cool. Because I started reading, I went, I think some people are reading with me. Loved it. Thank you. Here's the command. Rejoice always. Rejoice is the verb. The condition is joy. The response is rejoicing. Meaning this, that what is in here cannot stay in here. It's going to drive me insane if it stays right here. And if you have a muted personality, it's going to look a little bit different. If you've got an expressive personality, it's going to be a little bit different. But for both of us, What is in here is going to make its way out here. And for most of us, it's at least going to make its way here and here. The eyes don't lie, do they? And when there is joy, the eyes tell the story. And when there's joy, let me tell you this in my opinion, this is thus saith David at this moment. So don't take this as scripture. I, here's what I think. The single most revealing behavior of a joyful people is laughter. Because when we laugh, we can let things be, can't we? Have you ever gotten to something that is just so absurdly difficult you had to laugh? I mean, because if you don't laugh, you're going to go crazy. Laughter is the mark of God's people, the Spirit of God where He resides and reigns. And laughter is an indication that there are times when I can say, I don't know how this is going to work, but I believe you got it. Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Not every now and then. Not when life circumstances get to be exactly like I want them. Rejoice in the Lord always. There's always reason to rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't mean that we rejoice um, and are thankful for each and every circumstance. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures don't teach us to be thankful for all circumstances. It says to be thankful in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. We're not thankful for murder. We're we're not thankful for... for We are thankful in the Lord, that He's going to do something. Rejoice in the Lord always. And He says this, let me say it again. Because I know how this is going to come across. Rejoice in the Lord. Let what is in here come out from here. And let it come out in a variety of directions. Certainly let it come out with God's people. Share the goodness of what it is that God has done. Result or Rejoice in Him. But also, man, let it out in the world as well. Most of the folks that I know who do not consider themselves to be followers of Christ have the same set of problems that I do. And the main difference between them and me is that I have the Lord. And I really don't honestly do not know what I would do without Jesus. I have no idea how I'd be a a person that could handle any, any measure of life. So let your joy be known to them. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Then it says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the command. Don't allow yourself to stay in the place of anxious thinking. In order to battle that, go to the place of prayer. And when you get to the place of prayer, thank God first. Thank him for who he is and what he has already done. You're not psyching yourself up. You're bringing yourself back to the reality of who God is. So bring your thankfulness to God and then present your request to him. Don't hold back. Tell him what it is that you want and need. Give him details. Talk to him. Let him know. And then it said, hear this. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace, not our peace, God's peace. The kind of peace that he delivers. The kind of peace that he manufactures. Not the kind that we try to muster up. That peace will then stand guard like a, a trained soldier will stand guard over our mind and over our heart. Do you have trouble with anxious thoughts? Does your mind run? The only solution that I know, medication is helpful. And if you need it, use it. The only solution that I'm aware of is this. Pray to God. Present your request to him with thanksgiving. And then God's peace will actually come and it will stand guard against all the fiery darts of the evil one over your mind and over your heart. It will do this in Christ Jesus. You don't have another good option. So pray. He says, finally, to close out the letter, if it's true, if it's honorable, if it's just, if it's pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything that's excellent, anything worthy of praise, then think on these things. This is hard work. Dwell on such things. Whatever you've learned, received, or heard, if you've seen it from me, then just put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I didn't have us all read this on a Get it to you very quickly. I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, uh, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to be to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then that great passage, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me tell you what first, I'm sorry, what Philippians 4:13 is not saying. I can do all things such as bench press 400 pounds through him who gives me strength. Jesus just help me. Mm, I got it. I got it. I'm praying about this. I'm going to do it. You know what's going to happen? Crushed chest. I'm going to be rushed to the hospital. And then I'm going to be thinking, God, why didn't you follow through on your promise? Because that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you think that you can't dwell on that which is good and right and noble and excellent and praiseworthy? You think you can't live a life that's filled with joy? You think you can't present your request to God? You think that you can't believe that he's going to come and to give to you what you can never muster up yourself? You think you can't learn to be content? No, you can. You can't. He can, and therefore you can through him. All things, everything that he has asked, 
we can do through Jesus. Last passage to, to look at is found in Jesus. And this is, I'm convinced that he is talking about his return. Turn to John chapter 16. And I'm going to read verses 16 through 22. Very little comment on it because it'll be so obvious in there. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And in a, again, in a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. I'm going to go away. And it's going to happen on a cross. And I'm going to be gone. But I am going to come back. There's going to be a long season. Nobody really knows how long it's going to be. Not even I know how long it's going to be. But I'm telling you, I'm coming back. And when I come back, your joy will not be able to be contained. How do I know this? Because I'm going to be with you. I came to start the process, Emmanuel, but I had to do something first. I had to take on the price for sin, but I had to overcome both the power and the penalty of sin. And after I do that, I'm going to go and celebrate with the Father for a little while. I'm going to be with you. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to be with you. But I'm going to come back. And when I come back, there will be a celebration like you have never imagined. My friends, you will experience sorrow. Joy does not remove sorrow. Joy puts sorrow in its rightful place. That sorrow is here for a time for a season. And what joy does, what Jesus does, what the Holy Spirit does, what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus enables us to do is to enable, uh, is to see sorrow in its rightful place. We can experience it with genuine tears of hurt and angst and pain. And we can experience the pain that comes with life. However, what we are able to push forward towards is that Jesus is going to make it all good And it doesn't remove pain now. It enables us to experience pain rightfully because we know that what is coming is going to far outdo this. So Wildwood, take joy. Take joy in who God is. Take joy in the presence of Jesus. Take joy as you confess your sin because God has removed 
No longer do we have to fear that he's going to be away from us. Confess your sin to others. Get rid of the malice and bitterness that's in your heart. Throw it, hurl it upon Christ. Take joy in everyday living, not because life is going to turn out like you want it right now. Take joy because God will be with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who it is that you are and what it is that you have done. Father, we confess that, that at least I do, I confess that I am so prone to set my gaze upon what is happening only here and right now that I miss your very presence. So Lord, I pray for all of us um, here in this room, watching online, whenever we may hear this, would you enable us to be a people who talk to you in prayer? We listen to you as we read your word. We seek you as we come to church. We confess our sins. And Lord, would you enable us to forgive in the same way that you have forgiven us? Would you enable us to do that? So God, give us your joy, not not for our honor, not for our glory, but so that others might see who you really are. We pray all this in Christ's name.